Okay, let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that in this passage you show us more of yourself. And you also show us more of ourselves. Help us to embrace and come to terms with both um, by your grace and in your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so on Pinterest, um, I saw this little e-card that uh, made me laugh. It says, thank you for informing me you have a stick figure family of six. Your minivan had me under the impression you were wild and single. Um, And Jared laughed and said, that's a little too close to home. Um, But we don't want to take this illustration too far. But the Bible is kind of like this minivan. It is telling us over and over who God is. It's got the stick figure family of six on the back. It's got all the sporting gear. It's got the proud parent of a horned frog. It's got honor roll, yay. Um, It's declaring who God is. The Bible over and over and over tells us who God is. He is not trying to hide. He shows us his love his mercy, his compassion, his faithfulness. But then he also has all the stickers that would show us his jealousy, his wrath, his justice, his power. Sometimes I think when we come to the Bible, we can read it in such a way that when we come to something about God that we're not super comfortable with, we kind of just don't engage with it. We kind of just push it away. And uh, it reminded me of Finding Nemo. Have y'all seen that word? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. We can do that with the Bible. Just keep reading, just keep reading. Ah, okay, I got to chapter 7, and that made sense. Like, that was a God I was comfortable with, was chapter 7. But chapter 4, 5, and 6, eek. Um, And we can do that. But we want to have God show us all of himself. This is who God is. This is... All of this, all of the chapters are who God is. And um, as we come to really hard things in scripture, one of the things that um, someone said to me, which I just always try to come to God with, and I think I've said this before, is faith seeking understanding. We never want to come to God and say, make me understand so I can have faith. We don't get to dictate to God for him to make us understand. We get to come to God with faith and seek to understand. And he wants us to grow in that understanding. But this side of heaven, we're not going to fully understand. But he wants us to grow in that understanding. You either have a G, lowercase g, a God, not a G. You either have a God, lowercase g, of limited power. Or you have a God, capital G, who is very clear, life and death are in my hands. The world is in my hands. God owns the fact that he either causes or allows anything that happens. He is sovereign, and we are fragile and needy and only secure in him. Kay Gavrish summed this section of this passage up by saying, we don't handle God, he handles us. 
I like that. Um, and we can see that the Israelites take things into their own hands. They rush to battle and they lose. And they know, like they kind of get it. They get that they lost because it was the Lord who defeated them. But do they repent and turn to him, accept that they need him, and relinquish this false sense of control that they have? No, they don't. They're like us. (laughs) They go and they get the ark, and they bring the ark out. And the ark was this symbol that Yahweh was with them. It was precious. It was the symbol that they were to be his people. It was sacred and it was special and it had like very specific instructions for its care. God was very particular about what it was supposed to be carried with, that it was supposed to be covered. He was very particular about the ark. But the Israelites, just like us so often, they want God's power, but they don't don't really want his ways. They don't really want his leadership. They don't really want his control of their day in and day out life. They want God on their own terms. And they sure don't want to be dependent. They don't want to be a dependent people. They want to add him to their own strength. I'm going to be strong and I'm going to add God to that. They don't want to be weak and God be who is strong. So we don't know exactly, but whatever God's reasons, God allows the battle to be lost and the ark to be captured. Hophni and Phinehas are dead. Over 30,000 Israelites are dead. Eli, the high priest, is dead. The wife of Phinehas dies. And we have this birth of a child named Ichabod, or there is no glory. And I think we probably can't overstate how dark of a time this was for them. The ark was God's symbol to them that God was with them. And it is now with their greatest enemy. This symbol of God is with their enemies. And the ark, if you kind of think about it, it it had a mercy seat that would be put on top of it. And it was like the throne of God. So that's one way you can think of it is it's a throne. It's also where the blood would be sprinkled during the, on the Day of Atonement. So it's like an altar. It is the place for them where they get to meet with God. And um, on, if, you, if you've seen pictures of the ark or assumed pictures of the ark, it's got these two cherubim on either side in gold. And there are these angels. And we are to automatically think of Isaiah 6 or Revelation, where the angels, what are the angels always saying to God? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. So their throne is gone. Their place to meet with God is gone. Their mediators are gone. This would have been a huge, huge moment in their history. And this was their greatest military defeat to date. This is a dark moment for them. Then we change scenes to the Philistines. We come to the Philistine camp and we get this great story of the Ark and Dagon. Now, the Ark is not God, the Ark is the throne, the Ark is the altar. But this false god cannot stand before it, and it go, and the idol goes down. 
And I feel like when I read in scripture about a lot of passages about idols, they just kind of point out the silliness of the idol. Like, really, you're trusting in this thing that you can pick up and move around? And it kind of poetically pictures it for us, the silliness of doing it. And yet, if I like really search my life, I can see ways that I do it too. And I thought about money. It's paper. It can burn. It can blow away in the wind. It can get stolen. It is paper. And yet I can give it so much weight. If I have enough of it, I can feel safe. If I don't, I can feel scared. I can give this paper so much weight. And then I thought about my phone. Um, For some reason, if I'm in the parking lot and I have my phone, I feel safe. You know, like my phone makes me feel safe somehow. Um, And yet if I look at it the wrong way, the screen might break. But, you know, I don't know what my phone is actually going to do for me in the time of need. But if I have my phone, I can feel safe. And I think um, we have to look at the things that when we're fearing, that's normally revealing an idol. Places where we have fear is normally revealing something that we're wanting to trust instead of God. And in this text, we laugh at Dagon, and we're supposed to. We're supposed to laugh at Dagon. We're supposed to see how silly it is that they have to set him back up and that his hands are gone, but that God's hands are not, that God's hands are heavy against them. Yet they keep their Dagon, and they want nothing more to do with this God of Israel. They had heard of the God of Israel. Wasn't that cool that they'd heard of him? They'd heard about him and the way he had delivered the Israelites and how he had struck the Egyptians. And now he's striking them. And all they really want is for him to stop. A right response would have been to worship him, to go to the Israelites and say, how does this God that's your God be my God? to seek out what God might require of them. But they don't really want God. They just want the plagues to stop. So Dagon goes down and God comes to the defense of the ark. His hand is heavy against the Philistines. And we are see again, we're reminded again how powerful God is. His purposes will be accomplished Not the people of Israelites and not mine, but his purposes will come to pass. He doesn't need me, but oh, how I need him. And the Philistines are dying and they have all these tumors and then mice are ravaging the land. And eventually the Philistines decide to send the ark back. And they do so with a guilt offering. And we have another example of people trying to dictate their own terms to God. They are not seeking real repentance. They're not seeking what he might require. They're just setting their own terms. Here's my guilt offering. And I think it's really telling of us and our understanding of our own sin to see what their guilt offering was. It was five golden tumors and five golden mice. What does God say is required for our sin? The blood of Jesus. But we think five golden tumors, five mice, that should be enough. 
And God says, the blood of Jesus. So I think we really, we, we do not understand our sin. We do not understand God's holiness. And we see that of the Israelites in the next section. As we come to the next section, the ark returns. It's been gone for seven months, and they are thrilled. They're so happy. God has brought it back. But some of them ignore the instructions that God has given, and they embrace curiosity over obedience. God had told them how to treat it, and they disregard that. And when 70 men are struck, they say, Who is able to stand before this Lord? this holy God. And there's instances in scripture where things like this happen quite a bit. Uh, In Leviticus, you had Aaron's sons coming and trying to bring their own style of offering, and then they're consumed by fire. And um, this is what it says there. It says, this is what the Lord spoke. Among the ones close to me, I will show myself holy. And in the presence of all the people, I will be honored. Among us, he will show himself holy. Among us, he will be honored. And Moses, he was there for this. He heard this. He was a part of this. But then later in his life, we see another example of not treating God as holy. God had told him to speak to the rock. And the water would come out. But he disregarded that and he struck the rock. And it says that he doesn't get to go in the promised land. And it says in Numbers, you failed to show me as holy. In Deuteronomy, it says, you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel. R.C. Sproul has said, any infraction says to God that we believe that our will trumps his and that we can do whatever we want. We are shocked by justice and presume upon grace. We are no longer amazed by grace. Holiness is the only attribute in the Bible repeated that three times in a row. And like Darwin said on Sunday, that means it's important. Holy, holy, holy. It is true. If it's said three times, We can bank on this. Holy, holy, holy. It's the attribute that the angels will worship continually. If we are to know God, we must know his holiness. Uh, Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy be thy name. Ed Clowney has said, just how close to God do you want to be? Just how close to God do you want to be? Would your life look like it looked right now if you were reflecting the living God? In his mercy, he is tolerating our sin. I uh, was saying earlier that I've been really convicted this week of how polluted my life is. That God is holy, holy, holy. But that I'm polluted, 
polluted, polluted, and that I'm just kind of okay with the pollution, that I've become comfortable with it. But God would continue to draw his people to holiness. He would call us to himself. And we can take hope, for God is who is at work. He continues to transform. He continues to call us. And we see at the end of this section that God has used these circumstances to draw the Israelites back to himself. And they do embrace God. And we, like them, should confess. And through Christ, through Christ, put away our idols, direct our hearts to God, and serve him only. And then do it again tomorrow, and again the next day, and again the next day. I thought um, it was interesting as part of this returning to God that the people accepted Samuel as their judge, that that was a part of it, that they were willing to accept that they needed to be judged. Because Judges 17.6 during the same time in history says, uh, it condemned the people for doing what was right in their own eyes. A part of our growth, a part of God drawing us to himself is helping us to make what he says is right and wrong of ultimate value. It's not if I think because of my circumstances, it's okay to dishonor my mother and father that counts. It's what God says. It's not if I think it's okay to get drunk because it's my birthday. It's what God says. It's not if I think women would make fine elders. It's who God says should lead his church. The people, as part of their repentance and return to God, accept the judgment. And we need the judgment. And we um, see in the Bible that Christ is our ultimate judge in 2 Timothy 4. And we see that the Bible is described as living and active, piercing, piercing to the intentions of the heart. We have the Holy Spirit, which convicts us of sin and leads us into the ways of righteousness. And we have God's church, which we are to embrace and one another as a place where God would help us to see our sin. Um, in the last section, in chapter 7, I want to highlight that the, that their exact moment of return, they are immediately attacked. Um, the Philistines, this side of heaven just do not go away. They don't go away. They keep coming back. And the question is, how will the people respond? Will they depend on God? Will they look to him, whatever will come? And for this small moment, we see that they do. And the Lord hears the cries of Samuel, and the Lord thunders from heaven. And after the battle, they set up this Ebenezer stone, saying, till now the Lord has helped us. And what I think is interesting is this happened in the exact same place as the battle of chapter 4. If you look back, that their, so their greatest military defeat to date, the place of mourning for them has become a place that reminds them of the faithfulness of God. And I love that, that God takes even our sin, even our rejection, and he weaves it into a testimony of his faithfulness. Romans 9 talks about this, that it is always about the God who calls, 
and not about the worthiness of those he saves. And um, I think it's one of those things that we have to be so thankful for <laughs> because again and again, we, we need that. Apart from that, we stray. If you, if you have already looked ahead to next week, it starts out, we're already in a bad place again. Like next week, like one chapter over, we're already back to bad. And um, that is the, say, the way it is with my life. Like today, I'm like, yes. God, holiness, and tomorrow I'll be pitiful. Like, I I wander from him so quickly. We are so prone to wander, but God is so faithful. Be watchful of the ways you are wandering. Know you're wandering. Search yourself for wandering. Hear God's calls to you. He will let us feel the consequences of our wandering so we will want to return to him. The Psalms say, look to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. His mercies are new every morning. And in our wandering, he calls us back and convinces us anew that he has always been faithful. He has always been faithful. I have always been a wanderer. This week, I just challenge myself and I challenge us to see more of God. To not just keep swimming, just keep swimming, but to to know God, to know God's holiness, to want to know God. To want to know his holiness. To want to give up whatever to reflect a closeness with him. To not care more about a TV show than the holiness of God. Do I want to watch a show more than I want to know God? Some days I do. But praise God that he will push in. He will show me the folliness and silliness of that. His desire trumps mine. His will trumps mine. Let's not just drag the ark out for battle. Let's be all in with the living God who has proved over and over and over that he is all in with us. He is all in with you. And may he be merciful to make it happen in our lives. Oh God, there is nothing that is your equal. You are beautiful beyond compare. You are holy, holy, holy.
your goodness shall follow us all the days of our lives. Why do we wander? Why do we doubt? Thank you that one day, and praise God that for eternity, you will work a faithfulness in us too. That we will be faithful. That you will make it so. In Jesus' name, amen.